Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial podcast and commentary. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial, a perspective to help you win, not just endure. Available in both paperback and Kindle on the Amazon book platform. Written by Charles P. Malone. Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial, book reading and commentary, episode 8, part 4, pages 108 to 118. My name is Chuck Malone, and I'm the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial. Today's episode is titled, Be Patient in Thy Afflictions, and with this great advice from the Lord, we will have addressed the universal question throughout the ages, Why do bad things happen to good people? So let us continue on page 108. In 1839, Joseph Smith, the founding president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and several others in church leadership were incarcerated in Liberty Jail for months on trumped-up charges Word came to Joseph about the atrocities being purged against the faithful church members by local townspeople and government authorities. Joseph was unable to intervene or add support. His efforts at petitioning judicial courts went unnoticed. Mobs continued to rape and pillage farms and property. Things had gotten far out of control, and he could do nothing but pray. But pray he did recorded in the Scripture of Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, is the account of Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail, written by his own hand. You can imagine the prophet's frustration as his efforts to get free were rebuked time after time. He knew he had a work to do, and that he had been called of God to restore these basic truths back to the earth. Then why wasn't God helping him escape? Why was he letting the mobs destroy the homes and lives of innocent people just because their beliefs were not understood? Haven't we all, to some degree, felt the frustrations of not being able to see the designs of God in our lives at the time we needed to see? Perhaps you have been out of work for a time, maybe a long time, and you just don't see how to work out of this. Maybe your illness or that of a loved one is prolonged, and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. Maybe you have wanted to accomplish something great while on earth, make a difference, but things haven't worked out for you as you'd envisioned. Let's read what troubled Joseph Smith, as he could not see the Lord's designs in his own life at the moment, in section 121 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Verse 1. O God, where art thou? And where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? How long shall thy hand be stayed? And thine eye, yea, thy pure eye, behold from the eternal heavens the wrongs of thy people and of thy servants, and thine heir be penetrated with their cries. Yea, O Lord, How long shall they suffer these wrongs and unlawful oppressions before thine heart shall be softened toward them and thy bowels be moved with compassion toward them? 
O Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven, earth, and seas, and of all things that in them are, and who controlleth and subjecteth the devil and the dark and benighted dominion of Sheol, stretch forth thy hand, let thine eye pierce, let thy pavilion be taken up, let thy hiding place no longer be covered. <clears throat> Let thine ear be inclined, let thy heart be softened, and thy bowels moved with compassion toward us. Let thine anger be kindled against our enemies, and in the fury of thine heart and with the sword avenge us of our wrongs. Remember thy suffering saints, O our God, and thy servants will rejoice in thy name forever. Here was a man who had seen with his own eyes the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. And still he had to ask, where art thou? By design, we mortals who live on earth don't have any recollection of a pre-mortal life. Even the prophet Joseph Smith had to develop faith, perhaps even faith to believe what he saw with his own eyes that morning in the grove of trees. Joseph Smith had a cause to fulfill. He knew what God had intended for him to do. Then how could God stay hidden and not hear the cries of his people and himself? How could God not see the wrongs being unjustly dealt by these wicked people? Stretch forth thy hand, Joseph said, and punish my enemies. Unlock the door to my cell and let me fulfill my destiny. Here is just a portion of what the Lord taught Joseph Smith that is so vital to our understanding of trial and its purpose in our life. Doctrine and Covenant, section 121, starting at verse 7. My son, be peace, unto, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine afflictions shall be but a small moment. And then if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. Thy friends do stand by thee, and they shall hail thee again with warm hearts and friendly hands. Thou art not as Job. Thy friends do not contend against thee, neither charge thee with transgression as they did Job. The Lord continues his revelation and reminds Joseph Smith of the numerous trials he has already passed through and then offers this amazing insight into the purpose of trial in section 122, verse 7. And if thou shouldest be cast into the pit, or into the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness, and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience, and shall be for thy good. End quote. When, during times of trial in my own life, I get to feeling a bit faith bear. I love to read this account of scripture, for it puts it all in perspective. Verse 7, my son, be peace 
unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine affliction shall be but a small moment. Or in other words, take care, young prophet. This trial and others like it are but a small moment in the eternal round of life. Remember, it is not what happens, but how we react that, hap that matters. If thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. I like how God reminds Joseph Smith and us that even though you may go through the worst trial imaginable, you still aren't as purged as Job was. You still have friends. <laughs> even the Savior had to learn from life's trials as taught by Paul in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. The basic truth, no matter what happens to you during this life, it is not a waste. It all counts. There was no premonition of fate one dark night many years ago as my niece's husband and his father were traveling by single-engine plane across the Arizona desert to an evening business gathering of friends and associates. My nephew's dad was no stranger to flying, having served in the U.S. military and later as a private pilot, jetting across highways and mountains to reach dental patients living in different parts of Arizona. My nephew was also rated as a pilot with good skills in just about everything necessary for a successful flight. But on that night, choice and agency, coupled with grounds, maintenance, human error, came colliding together with force and destruction. On approach, both pilot and passenger were uncomfortable with what they saw, or rather what they didn't see, a properly lit runway. The pilot's military experience kicked in, giving confidence that he had been here before, done that. After a brief ex exchange of concerns, a choice was made to land despite the conditions. It would be the last communication between a father and son in this life. What appeared to be the landing strip was, in fact, a shadow. By the time the pilot realized they were coming in short of the runway, his mechanical efforts to pull up already in motion, guy wires stretching across the plane giving life and light to remote farmhouses, took one life and altered another forever. One thing about trial is that you, it often comes upon you so rapidly that you never have time to prepare. It was a routine flight, an experienced pilot, a good cause, and good people with good intentions. Had they chosen to drive the long distance, things might have turned out differently. Yes, they still might have been in a car accident, head on with a semi, both lives taken. Or they might have arrived safely, cheating death's attempt at claiming one more life. But when the call came from my sister that her son-in-law and his father had been involved in a plane accident, everything was dropped, and we instinctively wanted to be with family to lend support. At first it was thought they were both alive. Initial reports were sketchy but hopeful. Then the words, air evacuation, followed. 
we started driving to Phoenix, then changed course towards Tucson as confusion took over in reaction to a lack of clear communication. We do that when trial hits. We just want to run, to hide, and to shake it off as we would do a nightmare, hoping against hope that this is just a dream. Driving seems to absorb some of the fear. We don't want to end up contributing to the trauma, so we are forced to focus on something else for a time. But that soon changes as the next phone call confirms that Doc the pilot, father, grandfather, and great dentist finished his life's journey with his son at his side. Being a survivor of trial does not necessarily mean the trial is over or complete. For the surviving son, a trial of a different nature was about to appear. Upon impact, the single-engine airplane burst into flames. The father heroically aided the son out of the plane, but not before both had been burned beyond recognition. When the gurney came off the plane at the Phoenix Burn Center and was immediately surrounded by attending life support personnel, my first glimpse of the handsome, dark-haired hunk of a nephew who loved to play and sing as Elvis impersonator for anyone who would watch and listen was swollen up twice or three times his normal size. I am not normally strong when it comes to hospitals and pain and visible signs of carnage. I have seen my share of it over the years, but I was not prepared for what I saw come off that plane. Somewhere inside that burned body was a soul about to be tempered as steel. Accidents happen. The news media keeps us ever informed on freeway accidents, gunshot accidents, drowning accidents, and even accidents caused by a good Samaritan trying to help change a tire on a busy roadway. There was no hidden agenda in these accidents, only the exercise of agency at work. I believe that God is saddened to see earth life come to an end for many of his children who still have much life ahead of them. It would not be his desire to have his children cut short their earthly schooling, but it was part of the plan of agency that we all fought for in the Grand Council in the heavens. To Job, the God of the universe, asked, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job 38, 4 and 7. We knew there would be risk, but when the foundations of the earth and all that was in it were laid, we shouted for joy, even at the prospect that some might not return at all. Some might return immediately, and some might return after spending their entire earthly experience in subject poverty and pain, but we didn't care. As spirit children, we knew earth life was but a fleeting moment in the eternal span of things. It was necessary that we gain a physical body to progress further. It did not matter that the body we received was deformed at birth or became mangled from war. It was a body, and it would be made whole at the resurrection. Jesus Christ appeared to his disciples following his death on the cross, 
becoming the first to be resurrected and to be made whole. And I quote, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. That's in Luke 24, 39. It helps somewhat knowing that we didn't just burst under this earthly scene with no purpose or outcome, that we don't just exist and then we're gone. It does not remove the immediate pain I feel, however, knowing that a loved one is close to death. There is an account written by the great missionary and prophet Alma contained in the Book of Mormon, which offers significant insight into why bad things are allowed to happen to good people. Alma was a missionary preaching to the people living in the land of Ammonihah, but he was driven out because the people did not want to listen or change their bad habits. Alma felt there was nothing left to do but to leave the city. As Alma walked towards the next town, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and commanded him commended him for keeping the commandments and being such a good servant of the Lord. However, he told Alma he needed to return to the city of Ammonihah and preach repentance to the people, especially the leaders, for the Lord had perceived their plans to rob the people of their freedom. Alma did as the angel directed him and speedily returned to the city where he met Amulek a resident of Ammonihah, who had a vision that he would meet Alma and feed him. This unlikely relationship would bond into quite the missionary pair as they went about following the Lord's will in preaching repentance to the people of Ammonihah. But the people were slow to hear. Things began to get interesting as Amulek tries his hand at preaching by recounting the vision he received commanding him to aid Alma and become his companion. As a resident of the city, he testifies that the words spoken by Alma are true and speaks in the name of the Lord in calling the people to repentance. This brings out the lawyers, who each take their turn trying to unnerve the missionary pair with their cunning questions and manner of examination. When this doesn't work, a lawyer known as Zizim begins questioning Amulek with all sorts of temptations and devices of the devil. This was in Alma 11, verse 21. This confrontation with Zizrum continues for quite some time, but clearly this simple man from Ammonihah has the strength and wisdom of God, for he contends mightily with Zizrum, and in the end, begins to shake this devilish lawyer's strong stand against God and even consider the missionary's teachings to be true. If you want to read a powerful witness of the basic truths found in this book, read Alma chapters 9, to, uh, through, and 9 through 12. It is a powerful and true doctrine for all believing Christians. Now all this did not sit well with the wicked city officials, so they bound Alma and Amulek and took them before the chief judge in an effort to silence them. But Zeezrom breaks down and testifies to all present, saying he was wrong to have spoken against Alma and Amulek. 
and he was touched by their teachings and testifies on behalf of the Lord before the people, and many are converted. But the chief judge and team of lawyers were outraged and banished Zeezrom from their presence and bind Alma and Amulek with strong cords. The crowd gets out of hand and starts to single out those who have expressed belief in the words of the missionaries, and they were stoned. And here is the account of the actions of the city leaders against the believers as written in the book of Alma, chapter 14, verse 8 and 9. And I quote, And they brought their wives and children together, and whosoever believed or had been taught to believe in the word of God, they caused that they should be cast into the fire. And they also brought forth their records, which contained the holy scriptures, and cast them into the fire also, that they might be burned and destroyed by fire. And it came to pass that they took Alma and Amulek, and carried them forth to the place of martyrdom, and that they might witness the destruction of those who were consumed by fire." End quote. Because of the wickedness and selfish greed of the people of Ammonihah, the innocent believers and their families and their records and holy scriptures were cast into a fire and Alma and Amulek were forced to watch. But wait, you exclaim, these missionaries are acting on behalf of God, doing God's work, saving souls from eternal damnation. Don't they possess the power of God to save those who are innocent from burning to death? They did nothing wrong. Well, let's read on. Verse 10. And when Amulek saw the pains of the women and children who were consuming in the fire, he also was pained. And he said unto Alma, How can we witness this awful scene? Therefore let us stretch forth our hands and exercise the power of God which is in us and save them from the flames. Here Amulek, a new convert himself, believed so strongly in his calling to minister on behalf of the Lord, acts emotionally and in faith, wanting to extend his hand and save the people from death. But read what Alma has to say about his missionary companion's desire to use God's power in a life-saving opportunity in verse 11. But Alma said unto him, The Spirit constraineth me that I must not stretch forth mine hand. For behold, the Lord receiveth them up unto himself in glory, and he doth suffer that they may do this thing, or that the people may do this thing unto them, according to the hardness of their hearts, that the judgments which he shall exercise upon them in his wrath may be just, and the blood of the innocent shall stand as a witness against them, yea, and cry mightily against them at the last day. And so we see insight into God's plan, the very plan explained to you and me and all the people of Ammonihah while we lived with God in the pre-existence. Alma understood the plan of salvation well as he taught in chapters 9 through 12. Earth life is a time of testing, and when the test is over, either by natural death or by some random act of agency, the Lord receiveth them up unto himself in glory. And that glory being evidence that God's plan works for both the righteous and the unrighteous, all will die 
and all will enter the Lord's glory as spirits awaiting judgment and the reuniting of their resurrected body. It is a good thing. Even those who were unrighteous on earth will be given the opportunity to learn more fully of the plan and may choose to repent and progress. Alma goes on to teach that agency provides for the innocent to suffer so that those with hard hearts who perform wickedness on the earth may be the subject of God's wrath. With the blood of the innocent acting as a witness against the wicked at the time of judgment, the innocent are allowed to be taken at the hand of the wicked as a random act of poor timing, just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, or actions of their own by mistake. If it were any other way, life would have been controlled and unable to justify the exercise of faith, and God would have been unable to judge men according to their works and their faith. He would have been unable to serve justice. Many in our greatest blessings come only after a trial of our faith, and we have proved ourselves faithfully by enduring these experiences those who were taken by fire in the count of Alma, or the father and his young children who were taken as a result of a plane crash, or the untimely death of a loved one, all were received into the arms of God and suffer the pains of earth life no longer. It is we who remain who must pass the test of our faith. It is we who must decide just how deep is our belief or how we will react to what appears to be an injustice. Our trial is not over, nor is our testing complete. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Helen Keller, 1880-1968. Well, my brothers and sisters, we have attempted to address why bad things happen to good people. I hope that you felt the spirit coming from these words, the exercise of agency, the timing of, of agency, all combining, sometimes not to our favor. Sometimes it's a righteous thing that happens. It's a joyful thing. We are not control over what happens to us in a large part, but we are in control of how we react. I hope that you will take this time to just sort of look within yourself and try to understand how do I react to trial when it happens? And is there a way that I could prepare for the next trial so that I would be more in control and I could see what was happening around me? Maybe even opportunity to change maybe opportunity to serve. I hope that this has been a, a good 
use of your time today. We'll go on to the next episode. I hope that you'll follow this podcast and you'll be notified when there is another uh, episode. I'm trying to do one a week, but I may have to up that. There's so many different parts to each episode so that we can finish this book and then you could listen to the whole thing in, in its entirety. I know it's difficult to listen to one 15 minute episode and then try to figure out where you were, or where you left off. And uh, this, again, this is just an exercise for me to follow the spirit, to get out into the, the world, uh, the voice of this book. And I hope for you that it is a blessing. So until next time, Stay as blessed as you are and make choices and uh, fail forward, as they say. My friends, thank you so much for spending your time with me today in discussing the sweetness of trial. Please join me in future episodes as we learn how to not only endure trial, but to win from it as we continue our journey through my book, The Sweetness of Trial.